This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. I make such a special point and emphasis, especially when I'm with a lost Jewish person, to say his full name, the Lord Jesus Christ, Not just Jesus, not just Christ, not just Jesus Christ, but the Lord Jesus Christ. I want the full effect of the name. I want the savor, I want the fragrance. Why? Because it's an ointment. And when Solomon talked about that in Song of Solomon 1.3, he was talking about a healing ointment and a fragrant ointment. And the healing ointment is what he is really talking about here, and that's what the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is. I know that my Jewish people need to be healed. They need to be healed from the disease of prejudice and of rejecting him. And so I come in with my medicine bag and say, I got just the thing that's gonna work for you. It's his name. And it's his name as an ointment poured forth. That's why his name's so important. Now, we all wanna know, what did it taste like? <laughs> I mean, that's the, what it is, right? Was it like fried chicken or pulled pork or, you know? <laughs> what did it taste like? You know, we have a, bit, we have a lot of emphasis, emphasis on these tastes, you know, in this church, so. You know, what did it taste like, right? This is our area here. So it's interesting because it says in Numbers 11.8, one of the things it tasted like, it tasted like wafers made with honey in, in Exodus 16, but it, 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 we didn't know this from Exodus 16, but we found out here in Numbers 11, 11.8, when it says the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil, fresh oil. Now, I don't know about you, I love oil. I love fresh oil. I love fresh olive oil. That's wonderful. Anyway, I go down to We Olive down there and, and taste all the oils and for, you know, then no, that's no good. Find the best one and then buy a whole bunch of it. But the oil, 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 but oil was, it had a message that it was sent that, that uh, the, the people associated with oil. Oil was used for commissioning. It was for used for commissioning or anointing. In fact, all tied up in this concept, commissioning, anointing, oil is the term Messiah. Messiah has embedded behind it and with it the idea of anointed one, commissioned one, sent one. 
so the Lord Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father to come to earth to save people from their sins, and this is where the whole concept of Messiah anointed oil comes from, which is brought out to us in Hebrews 1.9. In Hebrews 1.9, it says about the Lord Jesus, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, that was his sinlessness, therefore even thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now, it says there, not only tasted like oil, but it says in Exodus 16.31, Exodus 16.31, the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Kind of wonder what that tastes like. Is that like honey graham cracker? No, no, it should be something. But wafers made with honey. I don't know actually sure what it is, but it sounds good. Wafers made with honey. I'll take some. You can give me some. Anyway, this sweet taste of honey, this sweet taste of the manna, is like the sweet words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Psalm 119, 103, Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know, Song of Solomon, again, Song of Solomon 2, verse 3, 2, verse 3, as the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down unto his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet, to my taste. So there's a sweetness that's associated with his words. Now, the manna, it says it has the color of white, but then in another place, as we saw in Numbers 11:7, it says the manna had this color of bdellium. Now, bdellium, it's a precious stone. It's a precious stone. And it reminds us, when you read something like that, of how precious the Lord Jesus is. As it says in 1 Peter 2:7, 1 Peter 2:7 says, Unto you, therefore, which believe, he's precious. What a great word to describe the Lord Jesus. Precious, precious. But unto them which be disobedient, well, that's a different matter. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner. They disallowed him. They said, no. How could it be that the same person could be so repulsive and so precious to different people? How can that be? That becomes the mark that differentiates who is going to heaven. These hymns that we sang tonight about how precious it's going to be, how wonderful it's gonna be when we see his face, when we get to see our brother, savior, friend, all that, that becomes the distinctive mark that differentiates a person who's going to heaven and a person who's not. And it's just the question, is he precious to you and why? Is he precious to you and why? So you wanna fill out an application to go to heaven? Here's the only question. Is, it, is he precious to you? Yes, no, and why? And, 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 and Isaiah described the preciousness of the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 28.5, Isaiah 28.5, when it says, in that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue or remnant of his people. So that covers the first part of the question, what manna, what it is. They said manna, what is it? We said, okay. So, and, 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 that, and, and that was the appearance and the taste of the manna. Seven characteristics. It was small, speaking of the humility of Christ. It was round, speaking of the fullness of Christ. It was white, speaking of the purity of the Lord Jesus. It was like coriander seed, speaking of the healing and fragrance of the Lord Jesus. It was like fresh oil, speaking of his anointed messiahship. It was like honey, speaking of the sweetness of his words. 
and it was like bedellium speaking, speaking of his preciousness. Now, in describing what the manna was, we now turn to what to consider just, which is pretty astounding, the amount of this manna, which could be just, there's only one word to describe the amount of manna, abundant, much, a lot. And this is the very first description that God gave for the manna in verse six, verse four, Exodus 16, four, when it says, then said the Lord unto Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate that I may prove them. See, God says, I will rain bread from heaven. And then he said, there should be an omer for every person. Now, an omer is six pints. An omer is six pints. So, and we get that, and, and, and we figured out more or less that there were about two million people. You get that from Numbers 145. Numbers 145. After all, if you want to know about any kind of number in the Bible, you go to Numbers. Numbers 145. And we kind of figure out there that there was about two million people. Okay, we're just doing math now. So in any given morning, there was six pints for every person, and there's two million people. There were 12 million pints. 12 million pints on the ground. Now, 12 million pints converts to, and I'm sure you've got this right on the tip of your tongue, 200,000 cubic feet. You all knew that. I knew you knew that. Now, each large train car hopper, we don't have them here, but we have them back in Eastern Ohio and other places, big train car hoppers that carry grain. Each train car hopper can hold about 5,800, about 5,800 cubic feet. That's what you get in a train car hopper. So that means that every day, the amount of manna that fell was the, was the equivalent of a train carrying 35 of those huge hoppers, the train car hoppers, and that's what fell on the ground every day. Now, that's a lot. And then when you figure that that happened every day, 365 days for 40 years, that's over a half a million of those train car hoppers that fell on the ground. That speaks of abundance. And that speaks of the adequacy of the Lord Jesus Christ for every need in our lives. Don't despise that little small thing. It's gonna keep you alive for 40 years because, yeah, it looks small on the ground, but there's gonna be 500,000 train carfuls that have been at the end of 40 years that will dump their load on the ground. And what's so interesting about the manna is that it didn't come from earth. You know, we always, Jewish people always pray the prayer, Sabbath, where they talk about Lechem min ha'aretz, the bread that comes from the earth. We thank you, O Lord, for the bread that comes from the earth, the bread that comes from the earth, the wine that could bore prehagofen, the wine that comes from the vine, the wine that comes from the vine. So everybody's always in those prayers, always looking down to the ground, say, okay, the bread that comes from the earth. We thank God for bread that comes from the earth. We thank God for the wine that comes from the vine. That's always that way. The manna did not come from earth. The manna did not come from earth. It was not the product of earth. It came from heaven, and this was the point that the Lord Jesus was saying in John 8, 23. John 8, 23, when he said unto them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. The manna came from heaven every day for 40 years. It wasn't like the food from the earth, which only comes during the harvest time. And also, the manna lasted every day. It kept coming every day until they came to Canaan, until they came to Canaan. And the people never went hungry. 
They were provided for till they reached Canaan, and then they could eat the fruits of the land of Canaan. And that just speaks to us about the consistent provision of the Lord all the way through our pilgrim journey till we reach the promised land of heaven. That's what it means there when it says in this verse, in verse 35, Exodus 16, 35, 16, 35, the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until, 40 years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. And in the meantime, we have in our journey down here the consistent provision of the Lord, the consistent presence of the Lord, as he said in Hebrews 13.5, Hebrews 13.5, be content with such things he have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The manna was not brought from Egypt, but it came down from heaven. It speaks of how the Lord gives us from himself, not from the world, like the peace he talked about in John 14, 27. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled. But the Israelites, what's interesting about the manna is that the Israelites, they had responsibilities. They had to do something. You know, the manna just, you know, there wasn't a knock on the door from the daily manna man and it said, here's your manna, you know, or come into your house, you know, and, and put it on your table for you. They had to go gather it. And that was part of what the Lord said, you're gonna have to do this. They had to go gather it daily. And on Friday, they had to gather twice as much so they'd have enough for both Friday and Saturday, the Sabbath, because on Saturday, there's gonna be no manna. On Sunday, the manna would come back again. So the people could not store the manna up. And if they did, we already read about how the worms and the stink. They had to gather the manna every day for that day. So the people had to gather the manna daily for their food. That speaks about how we have to meet the Lord daily, every day, in a quiet time so we can get the spiritual food for him for the day, just as they collected all this manna in the morning. And just as the Israelites took time in the morning to gather the manna that they were gonna eat throughout the whole day, that's what we do. We meet with God in the morning with the word of God, with an open Bible, with an open heart, and we gather during that time what we're going to think about throughout the day, what we're gonna be feasting on, what we're gonna be meditating on for each day. And yesterday's word is not good enough for today. And every day we've gotta sit down with the Bible and gather the food that we're gonna be feasting on throughout the day. Now they had to gather the manna in the morning because after the dew evaporated it, then they had to gather the manna. But, but if they waited, then the sun came up, the manna melted. It was gone. They couldn't pick it up then. It was all gone. It was all melted. They couldn't gather it. So the morning time was the time of opportunity for them when they had to gather in the morning. Now, there's something about the morning that is our best time. It's the, our opportunity to gather the word of God. Because when we get into the day, the heat melts. This came home to me one time when I used to get up early in the morning to meet with God, and then Cheryl, she didn't like that I turned the lights on, you know. So I had this watch at that time. You know how those watches had those little buttons on the side that you could get illumination so you could see the dial? Well, I figured out that, wow, that's pretty good. I'll just do this and walk around, and then I won't, you know, crash into the cupboard and everything. So it was really great. It was dark. And I just would use that and I'd walk around, oh, this is really good, you know? But something interesting happened. 
I go into the bathroom and I shut the door and I turn on the lights. And then I thought, okay, now I gotta go out now. So I turn the lights out and I open the door and I do this, doesn't work. Doesn't work, you know why? Your eyes go like this. And when you wake up in the morning, your eyes are dilated like this. So this works. But when you get into the light, your eyes go like that, and this doesn't work. So I was sensitive to the light before the lights went on. And after the lights went on, I was no longer sensitive to the light. And that's a picture of the manna. And that's why it's so important, because when we enter into the day and the distractions hit us like the sun hit the manna, they make us no more sensitive to the word of God like we are in the morning to the Bible. And so just as the manna had to be gathered early, we have to gather from the word of God in the morning early. And that's what we see about the Lord Jesus in the pattern of his life in Mark 135, Mark 135, which says, in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. David talked about this morning opportunity in Psalm 5, verse 3, Psalm 5, verse 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. And then he says in Isaiah 50, verse 4, the Lord speaking here. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened mine ear. That was in the morning. So the manna had to be collected daily and the manna had to be collected early. And then there was another way that the manna had to be collected and it had to do with where the manna was found. You know, like I said, you know, God could have. Another thing God could have done is he could have put the manna on, on trees or bushes or rocks out there. So they could go by and say, oh, there's manna, that's good. Okay, we'll take a little bit of that. I'll take that, that's nice. You know, like fruit, that's not the way it was. He didn't put the manna on the trees or the bushes or the rocks. He put the manna on the ground. He put the manna right down there on the ground. What does that mean? Everybody who had to gather the manna had to bend over or kneel down to gather all these little pieces of things that were about the size of frost crystals. Six pints worth. It's not exactly small. You have to kind of work at that. You know, bowing down is a very important thing. The word humility, humble, in Hebrew is the same as bow down, is bow down, bow down. Also used sometimes for a word for prayer, to pray. Kneeling is a position of humility. And this is the way the manna had to be collected, humbly, had to be collected daily, had to be collected early, had to be collected humbly on the knees, because humility is the only way to approach God. It's the only way. James 4, 6, James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. And when God goes through a list of the things that he hates, first and foremost on the list, in Proverbs 6, 16, Proverbs 6, 16, these six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look. That's number one on the list a proud look, arrogance. God hates pride. God hates arrogance. God hates, hates God. I don't think you know who I am, so I think you really need to put it here on my table if you don't mind. 
No, that's why the manna had to be collected humbly. Now, there's another very important little detail about the manna. It's given in verse 17 and 18, Exodus 16, 17 and 18. The children of Israel did so, gathered some more, gathered some more, some less. But when they did meet it out with the homer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. Now, this is stating here that some people, they were really good gatherers, and they gathered more than their six pints, and others were lousy gatherers, and they didn't get the six pints. But in the end, everybody had six pints. So nobody had more, and nobody had less. Why? Was it a miracle? No, it was not a miracle. It was not like, oh, this big amount, you got just shrunk on its own. Whoa, what do you know? And you got to have a little bit here to just expand on its own. No, that's not what happened. There was enough. Why? Because the person who gathered much, he thought to himself, I can't really store it because it's going to breed worms. I'll give it to the guy who doesn't have enough. That's what happened. And that's how they didn't hoard it. That's how it got all spread out. Now, that's a wonderful picture of generosity. And that speaks to us from Philippians 2.4. Philippians 2.4 says, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. How much money do you have? Oh, here, let me give you some. That's what it means. Romans 15.1, Romans 15.1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Oh, you're, you're, you're kind of feeble. Oh, let me give you some. I got it. I got more. So the manna had to be collected daily. It had to be collected early. It had to be collected humbly, and it had to be collected generously, with generosity. And finally, this is all so important for Israel and for us that God says, you know what? You got to keep that. We got to keep a memorial of this manna. We're not just going to just, you know, just people in their memories. That, so Aaron, go get a pot of it. Go get a homer of it. Go get a pot of it and keep it for hundreds of years. And it never stank. It never bred worms. Now, that was a miracle. But he says, you, you keep it there. And that's with verse 33, Exodus 16, 33, Exodus 16, 33. Moses said unto Aaron, take a pot, put an omer full of manna therein, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And that was kept in the tabernacle. That was kept in the tabernacle. That's why if you go over there, we have a little pot, but there's no omer in there. Don't go look. There's no manna in there. But that was to show that that's what God did. Now, just think about that. Because the manna really spoke of the faithfulness of God to provide. So if there was anybody who in Israel who's really going through a tough time, says, I don't know if God's really faithful. Moses, Aaron, can you go in there and tell me if that manna's still in that pot? And he would come out and say, yeah, it's still there. Oh, good. And that's the value of it for us tonight. That's a value for it for us. So what we need to do, what do we need to do? is make a resolution that we're going to gather from the manna of the Word of God. We're going to gather from our food, like manna, from the Bible every day. We're going to gather it every day. We're going to gather it early every day. We're going to gather it with humility before the Lord. And we're going to gather it with a heart that wants to share what we have found in the Word with others. He that gathered little didn't lack. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the miracle of the manna and for all that it teaches us about our precious Savior. Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.